Founders, welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Okay, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with the co-founder of Magic Links, Brian Nickerson. As influencer culture has come to a head in recent years, Brian, a self-proclaimed digital native, was looking to the future. He had already built up his skill set at companies like Yahoo and internet brands and was working on developing software for his own ventures. With the coupon recommendation platform Chipmunk, Brian and Christian Levy's first collaboration, he started getting an appreciation for the way in which sales data can provide a robust consumer profile. The two went on to found MagicLink as an answer to e-commerce in the age of YouTube and TikTok. By connecting individual content creators to appropriate brands and offering consultancy to achieve the most effective campaign, Brian's company has quickly made a name for itself in a wildly new market. A modern company in every sense of the word, it's been listed highly on the Inc. 5000, and Magic Links has also made a considerable name for itself in social outreach programs. Magic Links is growing like crazy. So Brian, my friend, let's get right to it. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited, Drew. Yes, sir. Well, again, we took our guess at your, your origin story, uh, but in your own words, how, how, do, how do we get into this whole line of work? Yeah. Um, so I, I had uh, really kind of two dreams early in life um, and probably at around 11 years old. Uh, one was to be a professional baseball player and two was to be an entrepreneur. Um, and the sort of path into baseball was a lot more uh, straightforward uh, in terms of what to do to get there. Um, and so uh, I, I did uh, get a chance to, to achieve that dream, um, was drafted by the Dodgers uh, coming out of uh, college and played two years as a third baseman in their minor leagues. Wow. Um, I was behind uh, Adrian Beltre, a first, uh, first ballot Hall of Famer, uh, for those who know uh, baseball. And it's, it's hard, to, uh, hard to make the big leagues when you're behind a, 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 a Hall of Famer like that. Sure. Um, and also went through uh, a number of knee surgeries uh, kind of through my uh, professional career. Uh, and so at a certain point in time, it was, it was time to, to kind of put that dream down and, and focus on the entrepreneur dream. Um, and so early in my career, I took a number of roles. I really like optimized learning and experience over uh, money um, and took roles where I felt like I could learn a lot um, and kind of prepare me for uh, the time when I would have the conviction to be an entrepreneur. Um, and so that's what I did. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, did some things as diverse as running a shift at a stop sign manufacturing plant uh, and uh, uh, working as, as part of the um, search and display uh, algorithm team at Yahoo. Uh, and then at Internet Brands uh, is really where I got my entrepreneurial sea legs. Um, and I led their shopping division and did uh, 17 acquisitions over the course of a three-year period. So basically every three months we were buying a new company. Um, and then my uh, teachers in that experience were the entrepreneurs of the companies that we bought. Um, and so I learned a lot from them, how they had built their businesses, and then also uh, kind of what it took to provide information to consumers online and then help, help people make decisions about what to buy. Um, and this was like early days of the internet, you know, kind of mid 2000s. Okay. Um, and then kind of finally, finally got the, the conviction of, of, you know, both understanding the marketplace and then realizing some places where 
uh, it was inefficient both for uh, brands and for uh, creators. Uh, and then, you know, kind of with that conviction, kind of took the leap from a, a corporate job to uh, starting my own venture. So let's back up when you say as early as you can remember, you had the dream of baseball and entrepreneurship. Uh, where did the itch come from for the entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial side of that, do you think? Yeah, I had a, uh, an uncle, Bob Sweeney, uh, who was an entrepreneur. That name um, sounds familiar. Yeah, he, uh, uh, he, he, he has made his mark in um, like multi-family multi development uh, housing uh, and has done that in um, New Mexico and Oregon are kind of the primary two locations. Okay. Um, but he, uh, in a partnership, you know, would um, buy land, build uh, large apartment complexes, um, and then uh, lease out the apartment complexes. Um, and so I saw, you know, kind of, uh, it just felt really exciting. I saw what, what he was doing and, and kind of the multifaceted challenges and opportunities and nature of that experience. And, and uh, yeah, for whatever reason, that was uh, kind of an inspirational place for me. I didn't, I didn't know like what field it would be in, but the, that, that um, the life is what, and the, and the, like the ways in which that, that experience of entrepreneurship challenges you in so many ways. That's what I was drawn to. Yeah. Do you think it was the, the kind of adventurous dynamic nature of doing it on your own and starting your own thing in the world that spoke to you? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've always kind of been a, an independent person a bit. Like I'll, I'll, I, I trust my own gut instinct and kind of go in that direction versus, uh, you know, kind of conforming to things. Um, and then, yeah, that the adventure of kind of both the unknown and, and uh, you know, needing to, to think about um, not, not like both think about what you want to build and how to build it and then, and then actually be in the dance of building it. And then in the dance of like, okay, like you, you got to like sort of manifest something or put something forward and then you might not be fully right or it might like it turns out different than you think. So you're like kind of constantly doing this kind of movement of uh, you know, kind of constantly getting a little bit better, hopefully, um, and learning a little bit more and that, that kind of lifelong learning and then applying it into something that you're creating, uh, just really, really spoke to me. Yeah. So in your early career, when you were, uh, taking jobs, you mentioned that you valued optimized learning and experience over money. Could you speak to that for a minute? What, what you mean by that? Yeah, definitely. Um, so, uh, like coming out, coming out of college, um, uh, you know, playing baseball was a dream, but also like a big risk. Um, and, and a lot of my, uh, like colleagues, you know, took, uh, jobs at financial services firms or consulting, uh, agent, you know, consulting firms, um, which are like really high paying jobs and really, you know, you learn, you learn a lot, you get paid a lot and it can set you up for a whole lot of things. Um, baseball playing minor leagues. I think that my, you know, my monthly salary was usually around like $2,000 or something. It's like tiny. Wow. Um, so you're kind of barely getting by. And then the, the set of skills that you're building for the most part is, is like a physical tool set that can be applied in like this very, very narrow space uh, called baseball um, uh, versus like, a, you know, a kind of more diverse set of skill sets that you would get in a number of like, uh, you know, jobs that you can take into a lot of other experiences. So there's a lot that I took from baseball and there's actually like a lot of those learnings that I still apply kind of every day um, as an entrepreneur now. Um, but that's one example. And then the other, you know, kind of coming out of baseball, uh, I was an engineering and economics major as an undergrad. 
and I kind of felt like the skills I had learned as an engineer would be the ones that would atrophy the fastest. Mm. Um, and so I found uh, rather than at that point going into like financial services or consulting, uh, my first job was in a global operations leadership management program uh, at Avery Dennison, which is a, a big uh, manufacturing company. Um, and as a frontline engineer and kind of process engineer in some of the manufacturing plants, um, and and that I felt like it, that that opportunity was both, you know, kind of apply the problem solving and engineering skills uh, early in my career, and then also I got an opportunity uh, to as a as a leader. Uh, and kind of frontline leader with um, leading the shift at the stop sign manufacturing plant. Um, and those were, you know, I was making half as much money as I might have made if I were to go into financial services. Uh, but I also, and, and like working, you know, instead of the glamour of those types of jobs, like driving to a factory in the middle of uh, uh, Eastern Illinois uh, <laughs> each day. So not sexy uh, and especially not sexy related to, to, you know, playing minor league baseball, which is hard, but also, you know, you're, you're, you're playing professional baseball. So there's a, a certain, uh, you know, aspect to that, but um, uh, the skills that I learned from those type of experiences are, are uh, ways that I, I think I'm a better leader now because, because I did that versus something else. Absolutely. Uh, this idea of cross-functional learning or cross-applied learning, I think is really fascinating. I heard it first from this guy, Josh Waitskin, who was the child pr uh, uh, prodigy in chess. And at the age of 18, his chess journey was over. He just didn't want to do it anymore. He'd been doing it since he was six, you know, beating grandmasters, that kind of thing. And he thought he had wasted his, his developmental years until he started asking, what could I apply from what I've learned at being the world's best in chess to other areas of life? And that question has not stopped being answered, right? Mm -hmm. Like he keeps finding yeah. new applications for the way we approach education to learning, to business, to all those kinds of things. And so they're seeing the same thing with athletes, right? Like when you and I grew up, you were, you were likely pushed like I was to specialize. I'm taking a guess, but they're like, yeah, if it's baseball. It's baseball. Like don't be playing football and basketball too. You know, for me, it was soccer. I had to choose between baseball and soccer in sixth grade. Basically both coaches were saying you got to pick one or the other. Right. Uh -huh. And now a lot of the research is saying you'd actually have been better off to delay specialization Yep. And to be more of a generalist early on and play multiple sports and specialize later, which I just find fascinating. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it kind of feels like that, you know, I think each person has to decide what they want for their career, what makes most sense for them. But there is some thinking right now around the same thing around approaching your early career, being a little more generalist, being a little more gathering of experiences and multiple tools, tool sets to specialize later, instead of feeling the pressure to niche out or to, pick a path you'll be on for the next 30 years right away. Does that make yeah, sense? A hundred percent. Yeah. And, you know, I think, I mean, what, 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 what magic links is doing in the creator economy that didn't exist when I was 20 years old, yeah. you know, like none of this has existed. Um, and, and uh, you know, I remember people uh, of the older generation telling me like, we couldn't even imagine that, you know, some of the jobs that people have now couldn't even imagine and that trend is really accelerating um, in terms of the changing of what, like, um, what my parents' generation thought of, of like, you trained to be a doctor or a nurse or a, you know, a, a lawyer, any type of lawyer, yeah. like any one of these sort of professions. And then you have this, like, there's like a, there's like a, like a, a path for which that career unfolds. Um, and, um, you know, I think like, in, in uh, you know, kind of baseball and acting are very similar of like, there's sort of a path, but there's also like luck and timing and 
all these other things that sort of come to play. Um, and I think that's that's true of, of the world at large now. Uh, and even in the last year and a half with COVID and all the changes and, um, you know, uh, Drew, as you were kind of mentioning of like the pivot that, that you know, you've made in terms of like even just like thinking about how to why to start this podcast and, and yeah. when and how and like we're, we're in a very, um, you know, what I think is interesting is like there's this sort of illusion of safety um, and safety in like, oh, I have this job I've done training for. And so I'm safe in that job. And the reality is like anything can change at any moment. And so like um, for me, like leading my life and trying to lead my life from that perspective um, is, is a really exciting way to live. It's probably not for everyone, but I think like entrepreneurship in a way is like the vehicle for me to lead my life that way. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. You know, when I, when I made the jump to go into working for myself and starting my own company, the way that it made sense to me was I was like, man, it seems like there's two options. I can, I can either choose to have a safety net, but I need to realize that what comes with a safety net is a ceiling yes. or I can choose to have no ceiling, but what comes with that unlimited opportunity is the lack of a safety net. Yeah. And I lived by that for a while until I had a friend push me and say, actually that safety net is an illusion. And similar to what you're saying, where I was like, you know what, you're actually kind of right. Like basically you get a semblance of a safety net, but actually that could go away tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> and you still are left with just the ceiling, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I just find that interesting. So I have two brother-in-laws who are for sure in the corporate, you know, structure, and th and that's right for their life, and that's great. So I'm not, you know, shitting on anybody that would would choose that side. But for me, I was so attracted to the lack of ceiling that that called out to me the most. Does that make sense? Yeah, hundred percent. And I think that gets to your your earlier point of. Uh, like people taking risks earlier in their career or taking like optimizing for diverse experiences earlier in their career. Cause I think that um, it, it's that, that, that leap uh, in from like perceived safety net into no perceived safety net and into, I understand the ceiling, but it comes maybe with something versus like, there's no ceiling. I think that leap gets harder and harder to make that as you progress in, in age and in your career yeah. and you start to have, uh, you know, a lot of times you build a lifestyle around that safety net and that could be a house, a mortgage, um, it yeah. could be kids. It could be like any of the structures of, of a life that you want to build. Um, that also becomes more and more tied to like having that particular, uh, uh, you know, kind of way of being. And so, yeah, for me that also, and I think, you know, the, it, when, when I talk to young people and, and we're in, um, you know, magic things, we have a lot of young employees too, because of the fast changing nature and people like on, uh, you know, TikTok and Snapchat and Instagram and, and YouTube. And like, you know, uh, some, a lot of times our young employees know more about these things than I do. In fact, most of the time they do. Um, and so whenever I talk to young people, I'm like, take risks early on in your career, like do stuff, figure out what you don't want to do. Um, and do a wide diversity, uh, like, like engage in a wide diversity of experiences um, because you can, I think you can always, uh, if you think about, if you bring the mindset of like, there's no such thing as failure, there's just an experience that you can learn from. And as you bring that experience forward, you, you have a more uh, sort of holistic way of engaging with things that you do later in life. Yeah. I think. Yeah. No, absolutely. You know, uh, everything comes with a cost, right? So that's the way I like to think about it. Any decision. Mm. Every decision comes with a cost. There's not going to be a decision that's cost free. You just got to decide which one you can stomach more, right? Yeah. So what's what's the cost you're more willing to live with? For some reason, some people they'd rather accept the cost of uh, monotony or the cost of 
you know, staying at a job where at least it feels predictable and reliable. Um, other people would rather eat the cost of un of the unknown of the of the scrambling for a few years, you know, that, that mm -hmm. comes with the territory. Uh, you know, for me, I haven't talked about this yet on the podcast, but the last job I ever had that I took a paycheck from somebody else, uh, I was making $40,000 a year with two kids and had found a way to make that work. Right. So my life wasn't great. We were for sure tight, but we were able to make it work. And I, but I didn't think about how little money that was until I was talking with a friend and I was like, am I being stupid? Like the, even considering leaving a salary to go off and start something on my own. And he just stepped back and he goes, man, you're only making $40,000. <laughs> he goes, it's not like you're at risking that much. And the way he put it, he goes, life is already not working out financially well for you anyways. So what's really the gamble here? Right, right. And I didn't see that as an advantage, but he was right because it was actually easier for me to imagine how do I replace 4,000 a month or less than that a month felt more feasible to do in a quick amount of time than if my lifestyle was at six figures. Right. Yes. And I've got to go from that to figuring out how I can still support a, a $5,000 mortgage a month plus a baby. You know what I mean? Yes. And so in yeah. that sense, that was an advantage. Like, yeah, I've got pressure of kids and that kind of stuff, but I don't have that much I've got to replace right away. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So and there's that, that advantage. I mean, I think um, what you're highlighting too is, is the mindset and sort of, sort of how much comes from a mindset of, of how we embrace either opportunity or a next step or that sort of thing. And I think it's, it's so powerful, right? Cause, cause it's easy to get trapped in a mindset of like lack of, um, yeah. or, or, uh, uh, fear, right. And fear of like, well, if I, if I let go of this $40,000 uh, job and life that I have, it still is like, it's something that I'm holding onto, like it's there, um, and stepping out into this like unknown, is fearful. And, and, and so it's like, it's that change of mindset. That's sort of the starting place. Yeah. Um, and I know like for me, I had a little bit, uh, I was in a bigger sort of corporate position. So I did have a higher salary when I, when I made that jump, I think I also had a mortgage. Um, and uh, so I had these, like, I, like, like there was that <laughs> sort of like higher yeah. uh, strain of like, what am I giving up and how hard would it be uh, to, to replace it? Um, and for me, some of that mindset also like came back to my times playing baseball of like, you know, $2,000 a month salary. And I remember, you know, we kind of, you're basically eating like peanut butter jelly sandwiches for lunch. You're like scrounging together, like, you know, even just basics, like eating and where you sleep and that sort of thing is like a challenge. Um, and I was kind of like, man, if I, I did that before. So if I go down to zero salary, like I can also like cut a lot of stuff out of my life. That's sort of superfluous. Yeah. Superfluous. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and maybe that's the cost and that's the trade-off of pursuing, uh, you know, a different dream. Um, and, what was the, and, what was the tipping point for you? Like what, what pushed you over the edge when you're in that battle of should I, shouldn't I, what, what, what do you remember kind of pushing you to say, yeah, I'm going to go for it. Yeah. I had, um, I think it was two things. One, um, really having conviction about an idea that I wanted to pursue. And, and um, I remember waking up for a week straight with just this idea. And at that time it was Chipmunk. Um, so the coupon search engine that I started. And it was like every morning I was waking up at like five in the morning and just like full of ideas, you know, and full of passion. Like, here's how it could work. And if we did this and like, it was like, it was just like spinning, spinning, spinning mm. um, really, really hard. And so I think that was 
um, that was really the core of the switch is like once I once I got into that place, it, it became, uh, you know, a thing where I was just like, it, it was, it was, it was like overflowing all of my being and I like needed to, to step out and do it. Um, and then that was in conjunction with I was at a, at a startup at the, at the time that wasn't going so well. Um, and uh, they were the startup was running into some financial challenges. We had kind of gotten to a point where it like didn't make sense for me to be um, at the startup uh, anymore. Um, and so it was a it was a mix of like what I had, uh, what, what I was holding on to wasn't working out. And I had this new idea that was like so primary in terms of its excitement for me um, that that I did those uh, that it was like time to make the leap. Man. So what you bring up is actually something that that I think I wanted to highlight just for a second. It's it's an it's, it's a it's a it's an opinion. It's an assumption. I could be wrong. But what I found is I call them fires that don't go away. Like mm -hmm. we all have stuff that like one night sounds exciting and then the next day you've forgotten about it, right? Mm -hmm. And if we chase every one of those, we're going to be disappointed a lot. But the things that I believe we've got to stop and like reflect on are the fires that won't go away. And they could be a fire of pain. Like it's something that's mm. eating at you. It's, it's, it's something that doesn't set right with you where you're like, something's off in my life or I don't know. I mean, literally physically yeah. it could be that like the amount of time someone has had an issue that went on for so long, they never went and saw a doctor about and then find out there was really something going on. You're like, man, you probably should have paid attention that you were having right. headaches an unusual amount of the time. Right. Um, and I feel the same way in career and life and fulfillment. Like what are the mm -hmm. fires either of pain or the fires of promise that like some idea is just, it just like chipmunk at first. It just, it's sitting with me. Like I'm not trying to stoke this fire, but I can't help but ideate, ideate about it. Right. Yes. And I believe when we, when we make some time for those, something emerges from it, you know, some kind of plan or some kind of next step or something. Right. And it sounds like you had kind of that fire that wasn't going away. A hundred percent. And Drew, I love that because uh, I think like that, that's been a constant, like lifelong learning for me um, and something, what I, what I feel, something I've gotten better at uh, being an entrepreneur and sort of through my journey of growing Magic Links and, and really throughout my life is um, when I feel that fire, the question is like, how quickly now can I act? It earlier in my life, I would like feel that fire and it would be like, well, how do I not listen to that? Right. <laughs> or how do I, maybe it's not a fire. Yeah. Maybe it's just like a, maybe that's just, it's just like a touch of a warm stove. It's not, a, you know, like, like all these sort of mental things that I would go through. Yeah. Um, and, and now I think like, uh, you know, and, and, and a lot of times that fire is like very guttural. It's yes. Very sort of like instinctual, it's like instinctual, right? Yeah. You, you know, something, and, and how to like embrace that knowing really quickly versus like all the sort of things that'll happen in the mind that your mind will tell you these other things. Um, and so, uh, yeah. It takes courage, man. It like, does. Because yeah. those fires are disruptive. They're, they, they're yeah. disrupting whatever your normal is. And you're trying often just to ignore it. Like, man, I'm already tired. I'm like, I don't want to think of change because change is uncomfortable and it might lead me down a path that I don't know where it's going, but it's like, dude, that might be the entrance. Like that yes. might be the entrance to something you really need or want. Right. Yes. So here's a, here's a like quick example for me, kind of how that's changed is, um, uh, you know, uh, I guess it's been about seven years or so since I had that like fire, right. I was waking up, it's, but it took me a week. 
um, to, to, to make that leap. Um, and I had uh, just about two months ago, I woke up at like 5 a.m. on a Sunday morning. I'm an early riser too. I mean, like, like surfing is, and we talked a little bit about that. Surfing is a part of me and that's an early morning sport sort of thing. Um, but it was like, woke up at 5 a.m. on a Sunday morning. All night I had been thinking about a restructure of our leadership team at Magic Links. Um, and as we've grown from like seven to over 50 people, um, my uh, direct reports had also grown into, uh, I think, 11 people. Um, and it started like we started to build out the different functional areas of the business, like sales and marketing and technology and product and customer service and all these pieces. Um, and so I woke up, you know, just with this like burning, like clarity on how to restructure my leadership team. Whoa. Um, and that, that means, that means changes, right? It means, it mean it meant a new hire of a VP of growth. It meant uh, promoting someone into a VP of revenue role. It meant moving a number of people who had reported into me um, that now would not. Um, and so it, it's, um, right, the change is big. And, and the fear starts coming in of like, well, how will this land? And if people, if people feel like they used to report to the founder and CEO, and now they report to someone else, like, maybe they would leave. And, and we did have one person that, that chose to leave in that mix up. And like, so there's, there is like, it, it's, it's like, listening to the fire also means instituting change. And knowing that all of that, that, that change, you might have some like really big short-term challenges or you don't know you're stepping yeah. into the unknown. Right. Yeah. Um, but also like, I've found like the faster I listen to that fire and make change, I start riding through those like bumpy stormy times. And then we get to like clear waters pretty soon. Yeah. Um, Man, that is, <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's like those moments don't go away. But the more you listen, the more you build out of those, the next time it comes, it comes at a greater risk, right? Yes. So like when you probably had a, a fire moment early on and there's just you or there's just seven people, you're like, cool, let's make some changes. Let's shift some stuff around. And then you got 50 people and it's going well. Any idea of shaking things up now feels like, well, we could be risking this whole company we built and yeah. how many people are going to get unsatisfied. And so it's the same. You're, you're learning to live out the same principle, but it feels like you got more chips on the table, right? Yeah, yeah, that's so true. Yeah, that's the hard part, man. That's what I've yeah. found, too, is like I've got to I've got to keep increasing my risk tolerance you yes. know yeah which it almost feels like right because it almost feels like the biggest risk is that like first leap right from yeah. having a paycheck from someone else to creating your own paycheck and in, in some way or creating your own business and then yeah those the, the stakes the stakes get higher yeah i heard someone say a long time ago that the the biggest threat to a new movement is the old movement yes and the idea was like man at some point the old movement was new and you acted on it and you built something great but you get into protective mode of yep. like, well, now we can't lose this. And a new movement or a new change might threaten the old. And you, you lose that part of like, well, the, what is now old used to be new. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. You, you broke from the norm that was before that to create this. And it, it, it's just evolving. It needs to happen again. Right. Yeah, yeah. And there's that, you know, I think that that gets back to this like illusion of safety that, that people um, we're, we're sort of hardwired to think that like consistency is safety. And, and even though like that illusion, it, it is an illusion and 
the only constant is change and that things are changing but to be like the initiator of change is a is is a is a is a, a place of sort of great responsibility and great uh you know you need passion and i think you know one of the big things for me too is like finding finding support um and my growth of a leader <clears throat> you know really has gone through some massive changes that I've gotten much bolder about asking for help and asking for support and creating support around me. And whether that's in like interpersonal relationships of people that will listen to you and help support, like, you know, sort of like, Hey, I think this change is, is needed. And that's where I want to go. And you can have support that says like, no, don't do it. It like, like keeps you in the fear or support. That's like, trust your instinct, go for it. That sounds good. What are, and, and like builds on it, builds on uh, the changes you want to make and sort of a, um, I always think of uh, like stand-up comedy is a great like yes and sort of uh, approach to like okay what does that look like um, and so you know a couple a couple of places that I've uh, like created support around me are um, one is like having a CEO forum um, and so that's a, a place where you have like a really um, it's similar to like YPO or or um, EO or those sorts of things yeah um, of a of a um, you know kind of the concept of a personal board of directors where you can bring challenges and issues and then rather than get advice, have like shared experiences. Um, so that's one area that's been really helpful. I think like hiring great people around me who um, know that part of the reason they've joined on this adventure is, is to like support and, and support like my gut and, and to um, be like a balancing point for that, but also to be really supportive of it. Um, and there's definitely people I've hired who have not been that way. And um, this is almost like a, a reflection I'm having in the in, in real time, right? But like yeah. people that I've hired in senior leadership positions that don't support my gut, like it basically is not going to work and I need to make a change pretty quickly. Um, and that, uh, that's been sometimes a hard lesson because I'm, I'm also like a caring, empathetic person. I want to make the world a better place. I want to have the experience of working together be like a big win-win for, for everybody. Um, and so that's, that's, you know, I have to like sort of step into that fear too, of sometimes there's people who aren't going to work on the journey and you need to make those decisions too. And those are, you know, it's not, you know, those, those can be, uh, hard, you know, when I, when I Painful. think about people in the way that I do. Yeah. Yeah. So when did you, cause this, that's a profound change for sounds like for your personality. And I know it is for mine is why I'm asking that it's a recent lesson I'm learning. So I'm curious for you, when did that start to kind of be present in your actual awareness that like, Hey, I think I need to, I think I need to get better at building a support system around me and even be bolder at asking for what I need or, or asking for help. When did you start to notice that? Yeah. So for me, um, it, it happened in sort of life crisis. Um, so I needed like a, a sort of strong, like, uh, like kick to, to, to realize that that was the place. Um, and so I'll, I'll, I'll go into two of those one where, one where I didn't do a good job and one where I did. Um, where I didn't do a good job uh, of asking for help and support um, is I, I, uh, my, my mom passed away suddenly from a heart attack um, when I was 18 years old. Mm. Um, and uh, when that happened, I had like all this grief and sadness and, you know, uh, it, was a, it was a really, really hard time. Um, but I didn't fully know like what support to ask for. Um, and didn't engage in sort of like therapy or, or like that, that sort of help um, and tried a few things, but never sort of got to a place of like, this is really a feeling of it helping me. And that was partly my own mindset of like how to embrace it. And partly me sort of being like, like a construct I had in my head 
that like therapy was weak, something like that, right? <laughs> or like asking for therapy or working with a therapist was what, what people who aren't mentally strong do. And I'm mentally yeah. strong, so like, I'm not gonna do that. Total false construct, by the way, but that's, that was where my mindset was. Sure. Um, and then um, uh, later in life, about 10 years later, uh, I, I was married uh, and came to a place where I needed to get divorced. Um, and going through that was like such a shock to the system on so many levels. It, it challenged who I was, who I was, who I thought of myself as, uh, in terms of a, a, as a husband um, and as as a person. And you know, my the the relationships of my parents and grandparents were like really strong, like kind of lifetime bonds. Um, and so for for me to not experience that was like a big challenge in so many directions. Um, and I had as that was unfolding. One, I had a gut instinct to call a person who was brand new to my life, this woman, Sherry Gibbons, who's now on my board of directors. Didn't know why I needed to call her, but I just felt like I did. And I kind of like broke down in tears saying like, here's what's happening. And Sherry, I don't know why, but I think you can help. And Sherry was immediately like, I know the perfect person for you. Uh, there's a person, Brett Costin, who's like a life coach, helps through these really traumatic experiences. You should call him. I don't know if you can get into his schedule, but like, let me introduce you. Uh, and, and that was like really, really helpful. And, and that, no, you know, that like, like what I felt as that was process was unfolding is I was like, I need help. I can't do this on my own. And I, it was like out of desperation that I needed to ask for help. Uh, and then as I sort of, then the pattern recognition goes like, man, I asked for help. And all of a sudden, like it starts coming to me and in these beautiful ways. And like, you know, even sort of a recognition later in life. And this is my sister helping me of like, in, in some way, instead of having like one mother, um, in many ways, like I've cultivated a number of relationships where I like receive mothering from many people in my life. Um, and some of those are, are immediate family members. Some of those are sort of chosen family members, but like I can receive that from many different areas. And cool. uh, yeah, so I don't know. It's a, it's a mindset. Again, it's that mindset shift. Yeah. 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 You know, I, I'm literally actively processing this. You're bold enough to do it on the, pro on the, on the podcast. And I'll, <laughs> I'll do the same, but I noticed I got uh, in like three weeks, I got triggered three different times in a way that like was unusual to me. I'm a very even killed person. Like I, I get along to go along, you know, I don't like to, I don't have conflict often, all that kind of stuff. And I was like bothered, man. There was like one team meeting that I, they were like, are you pissed at us? And I was <laughs> my honest response. I was like, I'm not happy. I don't think it has much to do with this. And so I'm going to keep my mouth shut until I can figure out what's going on. Cause I just, an early rule of thumb is if you have, for me, if you have an overreaction to the stimulus, it's not really about the stimulus, you know? Right. Oh, so it's like, if I'm, having, yeah. if I'm having an overreaction to something, it's probably not about that. And so I just kept my mouth shut with the team, but I walked away thinking like, well, what did bother me? What's getting touched here? And the same thing, I had like a fight with my wife where I was overly, uh, you know, emotional about something. And when I finally started getting to the bottom of it, I realized I let things build. Like I try to handle mm. everything internally. I try mm -hmm. to, I try to avoid the conflict. I try to avoid asking for help and just fix it myself, fix it myself. But at some point it boils up. And so mm. that's literally where my mind at, is at right now. Even my wife, when I started telling her, I'm realizing, I think I need this from you and I need this. She said, she goes, I'm realizing I've not heard you ask me anything like that in 10 years. Wow. And now I'm having to process how to emotionally respond to you for the first time, having needs expressed to me. Wow. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. It's, just a, it's like, yeah. wow, I, I didn't realize in 10 years of marriage, I've not ever really asked anything, you know? Yeah. 
And wow. so she's not used to me saying, Hey, I need this and having to respond emotionally to that. Uh, and so I'm like, damn it, that's my fault. Right. That's nobody else's fault. That's <laughs> right. That's me not knowing that that was even a pattern in my life until now. Yeah. So that's why that caught me, uh, not caught me off guard, but like why I'm, I'm leaning in. Cause I imagine there's so many leaders right now who, who feel the same way where everybody's looking to them. You know, yeah. they're looking to them for leadership. They're looking to them for strength. They're looking to them to have all the ideas. And there's probably a part of them that's like, God, I wish I could get that from somebody else. You know, yeah. I wish yeah. I had someone to lean on or to, to, to find strength from or to help me think through a situation. And so uh, that's why I feel like this is valuable, you know, for more than just the two of us to talk about. So beyond, you know, maybe that coach and that family support system, when did other things start falling in place, like the need for maybe that forum that you're a part of, or that kind of personal board of directors, which might be the same thing. I might be conflating those. Is that, is that kind of the same, same thing? Yeah. Same thing. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, you know, like vul vulnerability as a leader is so important. Um, and, and I think in some ways in Western society, we get caught up in these constructs of like, the leader knows everything. And, and there's parts of that in, embedded in, in masculinity a bit as well. It's like sure. the, the man provides or whatever, whatever construct you want to put around that. He's always stable but, and stoic. Yeah. It doesn't show emotions. And like we get, we get taught that from a young age. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think that, I think as I've become a more effective leader and this is like, it's never done. Like, I've, you know, <laughs> I feel like I come across these new things where I'm like, I'm doing that. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, or, and I think like when it, uh, the life coach uh, Breck that I worked with, he put it a good way. It's like, like a year from now, I might still be an asshole, but at least I'm a different asshole because <laughs> I'm like, I'm like moving. Right. At least I'm not doing the same thing. I might be yeah. doing something that's still not right, but, it, but at least it's different. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think that like that notion of um, bringing people more into the process and that like, you know, uh, I think like one of the ways I tried to communicate the organizational changes is also letting people more into like what I was seeing, which is sort of this this structure of too many direct reports and too siloed in terms of how we were working on things was 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 fine, right? Like we're, we've been growing really fast. Like all these great things are happening in the company. But if I also look forward like six to 12 months, 18 months out, I'm like, we'd hit a plateau under this and I'd start to be more burned out and not as effective as a leader. And so like bringing people into the whys and like what, what, what I'm seeing, what I'm struggling with, how I need to be a better leader and how this new structure will like support me in doing that and the support of me and a new structure of our leadership team will also help support like the mission of the company and that 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 support of that mission helps everybody who's a part of the company it also helps our 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 customers right all the all the shareholders like everyone who's a part of this uh, journey called magic links benefits from those changes and so trying to bring people in i think um you know what i've seen is is like a really fast embrace uh, from the team to those changes. And I think, I think part of that is, is trying to, trying to communicate some of that vulnerability and like try to over communicate, um, the why, um, I think is, is, uh, you know, can be, can be really helpful. Yeah, man, you, you've touched on several things there that I'm trying to make good notes that I, we can touch on all of it. But one is, is like you said, thinking to go the extra step of communicating the reasoning the heart and the reasoning behind changes, right? Mm -hmm. 
instead of just dictating them. Like, here is the new reality, deal with it. Say, here's how I came to this conclusion, right? Mm -hmm. I was thinking about this. I know we're caught here, but, you know, six months from now, here's why I don't think that's going to work, right? That I'm seeing the bigger picture here. And A, B, and C, I think, is always going to help people maybe um, stomach the changes because there's always annoying changes that that happen. We're like, now I've got to learn a new process. Now I've got to... It's like, okay, but can we see the bigger picture of why we're, we're going through some temporary discomfort, right, of shaking things up? Uh, but I want to actually go back for a second because I've been wanting to ask this the whole time. I, I know you have a love for surfing, and you mentioned, um, you mentioned the advice you got from, from your coach around being an asshole, but at least you're growing, <laughs> right? And it made me think of there's a documentary that if anyone listening to this hasn't seen, you got to watch it. Uh, it's called 180 degrees South. Have you seen that before? I don't think I have. Oh, especially really. (laughs) Yes. You are going to love it, man. Um, so there's a documentary. It should still be on Netflix. I watched it probably a decade ago, but I bet it's still there somewhere where these two friends wanted to recreate the trip that they had heard through kind of surf and, and climbing lore that Yvonne Chouinard and his best friend from that started North Face, you know, Patagonia founder and North Face founder had initially done together mm. where they traveled all the way from the, you know, North America, all the way down to eventually Patagonia surfing their way down, you know, and that, they wanted to recreate that trip. And the documentary is following these two trying to recreate that trip and these own adventures that they couldn't foresee happening emerged right uh-huh. and so it's just this wonderful documentary but at one part they're actually sitting with uh Yvonne Chouinard uh in his home in Patagonia asking him about the state of climbing and how things have changed since you know the years and he's he just gave this wonderful example where he said you know is back you know back in my day kind of thing you know <laughs> back in my day when a man used to climb uh, a mountain he's like uh the mountain used to change a man. That was the phrase that, that, that mm. stuck with me. He said, the mountain used to change a man. The, the man that went up wasn't the same that came down. Mm. He said, now we've made climbing so easy. He said, there's a line going up Everest. Mm-hmm. And he said, mm. someone's carrying your gear for you. And by the time you get to camp, there's, there's virtually a chocolate on your pillow waiting for you. <laughs> right? Jeez. And he said, so that's cool because more people get to do it and less people die. He said, the problem is, this, this is exactly what he said. The problem is, they were an asshole when they started the climb and they were an asshole when they got down for the climb. <laughs> and dude, I mean, that was the, that was the takeaway to me, man. Is like, wow. yeah. if we nerf some of the edges yeah. of certain things, yes, those edges were supposed to break certain parts of us off. They were supposed to yes. help reshape us. Right. And it was the challenge of the thing. It was the, the working with the mountain, the mountain being un- relentless yes. and you having to change and adapt to that right and it makes me think about surfing because that's another one that people have almost a cult-like experience or like a religious type experience just like man working with nature and the high you get when it works out well and we talked about early in the podcast before we recorded the the scary ass moments you know yeah and so i'm just curious for you and i don't mean to give this whole build up like it's got to be some big profound thing but i'm curious at what place has something like surfing held in your life and how has that maybe shaped some of the ways that, that you've grown as a person, the way you think about life or business? Yeah. Gosh, I, I love the, I love the example. Sorry, <laughs> long lead in. Love long the story. Question. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so um, I'll, I want to go uh, just to one place real quick and in, in that, like the mountain changes the man of coming back down um, and then I'll go, go into surfing. So sure. 
Um, I, uh, I went to uh, Burning Man uh, two years ago for the first yeah. time. Um, and that was uh, an incredible, in many cases, like life altering experience. Um, and part of the experience of going to Burning Man, for those who don't know, it's like a week uh, in the desert in Nevada on a dry lake bed. Um, and it's like really hard to get to. And you basically have to plan to live in on, on a dry lake bed uh, with you have to bring all your supplies uh, and, and plan to live for a week. And it's like harsh conditions. It's hot during the day. It's dry. It's dusty. You're wearing kind of like crazy outfits. It's like a lot of planning and preparation. Um, and uh, there, there are some people now who go to Burning Man and you can like fly into the airport. You can rent a, a trailer and and like basically everything is taken uh, care of for you. And it's yeah, just the like luxury there's a chocolate. Yeah, there's a chocolate on your pillow and like you don't do much. You just like sort of get on a plane, which is like kind of not that different of like flying to Las Vegas for a few days or something like that. Yeah. Um, and I know like like my the the degree of my change through that experience, I think, was highly proportional to the degree of like hardship isn't quite the right word, but the degree of challenge that I like embraced going into it of like finding a trailer, driving a trailer for the first time, planning for water, planning for food, like plan like doing all of that work meant that like the way that I sort of uh, like grounded into that experience was very different than some other people around me who, who uh, you know, took sort of a, a different route of going in and coming out. Um, and surfing, I think is, is such a, um, for me, it's such a place of, uh, you know, uh, one is like, there's a meditative quality to it for me. Um, and I, I actually learned this during my uh, kind of corporate career when I was, uh, uh, you know, still working at kind of a high pressure job. And um, there was one morning I went, I went surfing in the morning. I just felt like so good afterwards, right? Like calm. I caught a couple waves. I was like in a really calm mental state. Um, and I came into work that morning and we had had a DDoS attack. Um, on uh, one of our top uh, revenue generating coupon sites. Mm. And it was like a week before Thanksgiving. So like the, the height of our earning time had gone down to zero because the website wasn't even on. <laughs> and I remember like the way I embraced that day was just so calm, right? It was just like, okay, what do we need to do? Who do we need to call? What's the, what are the two steps? Let's talk again in an hour. Like, let me give someone space to like on the technical team, they need to figure that out, right? It was like, um, uh, as you said before, like when the, what was it? The stimulus and the reaction, Yeah. like the stimulus reaction was like, I was like surprised at my reaction relative yes. to the stimulus and I, and, and surfing was the, the, the place that got me into a mental state to be able to, to, to embrace that issue in that way. Um, and then, you know, uh, also related for me of taking that, that leap and the first leap into entrepreneurship. So, um, we had, uh, I, I go with a, a group of friends on an international surf trip every year. And that year we had gone to Nicaragua. Um, and this was like, right at the moment I was having the burning itch of, I need to do something different. And I was having the frustration of the, the startup that I was at and not knowing if I should leave. And I'd joined a friend who was one of the founders and like, like all this emotional piece was going on. Um, and it was a, it was a pretty big day. Um, there were big sets coming through. And as we were at this break, which is a pretty deep water break, there was one guy who was like 50 yards out from everyone else. And he was like on a long board and kind of an older guy. And, and there were probably, I don't know, 20 surfers or something in the lineup. 
And for a while, we were all kind of looking at like, what's that guy doing? <laughs> like, maybe he doesn't want to serve. He doesn't want to catch. Like, what, what's going on? And um, sure enough, a massive set comes through. And all of us are like paddling, like, get out. Like, it's, ah! <laughs> and like ducking for life and getting just slammed and crashed on and everything. And this guy who is far out paddles and catches like the perfect set wave. And he takes off and I don't know how big it was, but it was really big. And he, he kind of catches the wave and turns. And then all of a sudden the wave just crashes on him and just like pounds him. And he got, he caught it, but he also got like rocked on the wave. And so um, after like the dust settled, everyone's now out closer to where he was and he comes paddling out. And one of my friends goes, man, like, I looked rough. <laughs> and the guy just kind of laughed. He's like, you know what? Some waves work out, some don't. Yes. And for me, that construct, like so simple, well, some waves work out, some don't. That was in a way what gave me the freedom to go. I had, I had tried to ride this wave that was a startup that was one of my friends that I had joined. And I had gotten on it and caught a little bit of momentum. And now it had crashed. And it's okay. And, yes. and some waves work out, some don't. So uh, as his story unfolds, he goes back out further from the rest of the lineup. Most of the waves are smaller. So people, the, the lineup sort of starts creeping in closer and closer to the inside. Uh, and like 40 minutes later, another massive set comes out. Everyone's paddling for their life to try to get out and avoid getting crushed. And this guy takes off and just gets like the wave of the day. I mean, by far, and just rides it like all the way into the beach. And we were all just like, you know, like <laughs> so much. Uh, and, and it's, you know, that, that embrace, like there's something about yes. the, the way in which you're in the water, you're at the mercy of nature. You're trying to dance with nature. You're sort of like in like play and fear and all these things are sort of happening and you have to be really, really, really present um, to what is. And I think that's uh, a little, little ways in which surfing has, has helped me uh, Absolutely. be a better person. Yeah. Yeah, man. Absolutely. I mean, that example alone, we could rift on, you know, just the idea that often we try something that doesn't work out and we start making all sorts of assumptions that aren't necessary. Like, well, I guess I can't do this. I guess I'm not cut out for this or going into business is terrible. I'm never doing that again versus like the surfer's not going to give up on surfing because yeah. that wave didn't work out. He's just going to go catch another one, you know? Yeah. And the most successful people often have a string of failures before, and they mm -hmm. must have come to a similar conclusion. Like, yeah, I just didn't work out. What can I learn from that and, and try better on the next wave that comes in, you know? Yeah. And they just keep going until they have the ride of their life. And then if that one crashes, let's go again, you let's know? Let's go again. Yeah. Yeah. You got to see it a little more sporty, you know, a little more, yeah. a little more like a game that, that you're, you're navigating and learning from each thing that happens versus a pass fail experience that, you learned early on, I guess I can't ride waves, you know? Right, right, right. So the, the thing I'm, have you ever read the book, uh, steal or uh, stealing fire? I think so. Is that another, another surf book? No. So this one, uh, is by Stephen Kotler who wrote the rise of Superman. And then he wrote stealing fire and he's, so what he does is he researches, I think he, he, he started the human flow genome project or something where the mm. idea of flow states what he would call non-ordinary states of consciousness really grabbed his attention. And that would be a flow state. He, he would describe is when four factors are present. You have a, an experience of selflessness, which is not meaning just altruism, but like you lose, you lose 
that voice in your head that's narrating everything and you're immersed in something. Mm-hmm. Second would be timelessness. So he, he gives the acronym STIR, S-T-E-R, selflessness, timelessness, effortlessness, and richness. Mm. That when those four things are present, you are in what he would call a flow state. It's what athletes will get in when they're playing the game of their life. It's what artists will get in when they're inspired and they're just following the muse. It's what he says. So he talks about Burning Man. He, he, he looks through technology, through music, everything. But uh, he went to a whole uh, in depth around Burning Man and why so many uh, executives and people like that, like Google, made it a requirement that mm-hmm. whoever they found as their president had to be somebody that went to that kind of went to Burning Man and enjoyed it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so he's like, what's the deal? Like, why are we going to Burning Man? Why are why are Navy SEALs training like this? Why are athletes going here? And he's like, it's all in pursuit of non-ordinary states of consciousness, because in those moments, you change and you mm-hmm. recalibrate. You find a new center. You find a calm that like you had that, that morning surfing that when the thing hits, you handled it differently than you would have if you hadn't found that calm or you have an epiphany. Because you were in a state of mind, you were in a place yeah. to see things clearer, to, to look around corners in a sense. And you're like, that, that's where we need to go, right? And so he also mentioned adrenaline sports. <laughs> so surfing, skydiving, whatever, he's like, it's something, his guess is that it's something around the adrenaline of the moment cause, forces you to be so present. Yes. Like, I've got to be in tune like with this wave and nothing else. I can't be thinking about business or life on yeah. shore. Like I got to be right here or it's going to thrash me. Right. He's like that, that, that kind of like uh, forced focused puts you into that stir state. Right. Yes. yes. And he, he said, if you're honest, this is what I thought was interesting. He said, we're all looking for it, whether we know it or not. The only question is where we're finding it, if it's actually working. So he said, I actually have a list right here. I made a note because I want to remember it. Here's all the things he said are our pursuits currently, uh, things we're spending money on as a culture to try to find flow or to try to find an altered state of consciousness. Alcohol, tobacco, caffeine, prescription drugs, illegal drugs, counseling, therapy, self-help, action sports, video games, gambling, EDM, concerts, film, TV, IMAX, porn, virtual reality, social media. He said all of those are our attempts. Wow. Wow. To, to get out of our mind and get immersed in something that's different than the day-to-day ego chatter in our brain and worries yeah. and cares. And he's like, the only pro- the only thing you have to ask is, is that working? You know, yes. am I looking at, <laughs> is it working? And if it's not, are you open to finding something that might work for you? Yoga, meditation, or if that doesn't work for you, skydiving or surfing, if that doesn't work for you, like what, you know what I mean? And it's yeah. just opened my brain. Because even the other day, I took three hours. It felt like such a risk. I took three hours off in the workday. And I just went walking. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I just got outside. There's a beautiful little walk around a lake near me. And I was like, man, I just need to go walking. And I just went out there. And it, and it, it, it did that to me. For whatever reason, I had the right music in my ears. And I just I got like immersed in the moment. And man, the amount of insight I've, I got about yes. my business and calm I felt coming back was immense in just a three-hour walk and so it doesn't have to be as extreme as burning man but it got me down that that train of thought so do do you resonate with that is, is that babbling right now or is that no. you, yeah you know 100 yeah and I think I mean uh 
gosh, so much I, I can go with that. Like the, what I found particularly fascinating is like the, the, the ways in which, where we spend time or money um, as a society to try to, to try to reach that. And almost all of those ways are actually, there's like a numbing, there's like yeah. a disconnection to them. There's like a, it's like an artificial presence. Um, and uh, um, there, there, there's like, a, what, what's like a perceived richness is actually like a lack of richness. Um, and, and um, yeah. Very I mean, well that, said. Yeah. Like, like that, that, you know, I think like, there's also like a, a, it's a very Western society construct to be mind led. And, and like our, most of our society is built around like smarter, the mind can figure it out. The, like if you're smart, your mind will figure out how to like do these things. Um, and I think we miss the heart centeredness um, that, that other cultures and societies have. Um, and that when I, when I, um, embrace similar and like that like you were talking about of like the walk around the lake right of like yeah. in a way it's like clear your mind get out of your get out of your head and into the presence of like of that walk of the beauty of nature of the music in your ears yes and then and then these like this fascinating thing happens where like insights and clarity comes they know? just emerge yeah they just emerge and it's like from your subconscious or from spirit it's from some other place that's not your mind working through the problem 700,000 ways, yes. but just you like being, and then maybe like also kind of getting more into your gut and more into like, like what is and what, what should be and, and um, not overly thinking it, but sort of feeling it. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. He, 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 he highlighted something that I thought was so interesting. So he said, he believes that the preoccupation with self causes most of our suffering. <laughs> yes and man like that i know for me is true you know often the voice yeah. in my head is just a preoccupation with self my discomfort right. my needs my wants my whatever and he's like when we're trying to get into netflix when we're trying to get into whatever he's like we're actually trying to escape that for a second there's yeah. part of you that realizes that's the suffering and you're trying to shut it off but you're right oftentimes we're just numbing it like yeah we're, we're just kind of getting this mindless void that's not really filling us up at all. Yeah. It's just distracting Escaping. us. Yeah. 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 And then the other thing he said that I just I love, he said, when the voice in my head disappears, I am finally free to show up and I am at peace. And I wow. thought that was interesting yeah. too. Like, yeah. could we get more regularly into a state where we're just free to show up? Yeah. Like to offer whatever is, is, possible for us to offer in a moment without doubting it or without overinflating its importance just show up like here i am yeah. and he's like you'll notice you're at peace and you're often useful <laughs> you know yeah yeah i just thought that was really yeah. really profound like practical on a day-to-day -day level right a hundred percent yeah and i mean that that flow state like my i i that really resonates with me and especially in my baseball career so there were, there were times, you know, in the minor leagues that we'd be playing in front of 15,000 people and you'd have like the stadium going wild. It's a high pressure, like end of the game and close game. You got runners on like a strikeout, you lose the game, a hit, you win the game kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I remember clearly these times where like, when I would step in the batter's box, all of a sudden, like all the noise would go away. Yeah. 
and the, and like all the, all the, like the, like I'd get this like laser focus just on the pitcher and like where the ball was going to come out of his hand. Um, and I'd be in this sort of like, uh, this like reactive state of like, I've swung a bat, you know, millions of times. All I need to do is like see ball, hit ball and just let my body, let my body trust go, your body through that. Yeah. Um, and, and the times, the times where I was in that space, like that's, that's probably why I was a professional athlete and like why I got to that level. Um, and the times when I wasn't, I was no good, you know, yeah. and then, and then, and those, these like moments that sort of, uh, you know, there, there's places that sort of highlight that, like, like surfing or adrenaline sports is a place like you on a, on a wave, like you, you can't, if you're on a wave and you're thinking about even like the celebration of beers with your buddies afterwards or something, like you're probably going to, you're probably going to fall and your buddies are going to laugh and like, you're, yeah. you're not going to catch that wave. And so that, that, uh, yeah, I think like the cultivation of those experiences is so, and, and the cultivation of finding whatever each individual's person is into that flow state. Cause I think you can enter it in a whole wide variety of ways. I did too. And like, like as a, as a, as a leader and as an entrepreneur, I think it's like, especially important to try to find whatever it is for you, or, or maybe there's multiple ways you can get there, but to like, some of your time needs to be spent in the, 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 the seeking of that from not the ways that society says, but from what's like true to you. Exactly. And that's where my mind went was like, all right, I want to listen to my own heart in a sense mm. and, and, and see where it leads. Like, what is it asking for that that felt like an, maybe it was woo woo sounding but in my head i was like I, instead of just saying well i guess i gotta go to burning man or well i guess i gotta serve for i gotta it's like no no what 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 is it asking for what 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 uh service what uh activity what thing sounds rich sounds uh substantial you know that i need to give myself permission to experiment with mm -hmm. and i think that's how we have to think about it, is experimentation you know like Hey, if everybody says take a cold, cold plunge in a shower and that doesn't work for you, then don't do it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They say to meditate and you don't like it, then don't do it or find a different form of meditation. Like, right. Right. But just keep experimenting until you find something that shifts the state into where you want to be. And then the other thing I'll say that he mentioned in here, I was glad he did. He talked about Google spending a shit ton of money and trying to figure out and experimenting how to get their engineers into flow state more because they just mm. knew. And they they're able to track now anywhere from thirty to eighty percent more productive in a day that they had they had wow. touched touch a flow state like way more productive ha, you wow. know, a fraction yeah. of the time to get the work done the the quality of the work was way higher and so they're realizing like man this is like good for business too if we can help people get into some flow states um, with one of the things they realized too was some really basic stuff like sleep exercise and nutrition yep yeah my thinking is just my guess but I do a lot of work with companies as well on avoiding burnout and sustaining high performance mm. is that you're taking care of the most obvious needs that would make it hard for you to get out of your head. Right. Yes. Yes. So if I'm really tired and my body feels like shit and I'm eating poorly, it's kind of like Maslow's hierarchy of need. The bottom yep. pyramid is not being taken care of. And so it's hard for you to like ascend, right? It's hard yes. for you to, yeah. to get out of your head when you're like, I'm exhausted. Like, how can I relax right now when all I want to do is go to sleep? Or how can I be emotionally present if I'm so agitated right now? And so yeah. I think part of it is like almost like like taking care of yourself at some basic levels that you can even experiment with some uh, non-basic things 
and maybe get a result on that. Is that, yeah. does that come across clearly? Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, I, I feel like there's, there's times, there's times in my week where in like a two hour period, I'll get like two days worth of work done. Yes. I'm like laser focused, like the emails are out, it's on point, like all this stuff is happening and going. Um, and then there's other times in the week where I'm like, I'm like, you know, and, and as like a founder, like some, you know, my schedule is probably more open than a, than a lot of, a lot of people's and a lot of different roles are. And there, and there's also times where I'm like sitting down, I'm trying to do something. I can't get there. I'm like a little distracted, whatever I'm creating. Isn't that good? Like, it's just like, it's, it's like the productivity is very low. Um, and one of the things I've learned in that is when that's happening, that's like the important time to like, like a, when I'm, when I'm like on the verge of flow state, I need to fully embrace that. And sometimes that may be like six o'clock on a Friday. And I'm like, holy cow, like I am like going, I yeah. need to like cancel plans with friends and just embrace this and do a bunch of stuff right now. Cause it's happening. Yep. And, and like, sometimes that it's coming and I, like, I don't know if I'm like, I, I wish I could always like create flow state all the time, but, but sometimes it shows up and sometimes it doesn't. Um, and the flip side of that is sometimes I'm like, if I'm not doing well, or I'm not in flow state, the best thing for me might be to go take a walk or, or yes. take the afternoon off or just like, just put it down and not, not try to force it, but do something else to, 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 uh, you know, enrich my heart or give my mind a break or do something that like acknowledges that I'm not in it instead of trying to force it just allows me to do something else so that I can come back to it. Yes. Oh, absolutely. So one of the trainings we do, we talk about that where, there's there's different states uh, kind of states of being you could be in almost like you know it could be a liquid a gas or a solid all you know depending on how heated up an mm. element is and so i'm one of the things we talk about is if you were in a performance zone right like you were in a mode that was working and you were focused and you were getting stuff done but something shifted you into survival zone mm. where you're you're agitated you're anxious you're distracted you're charged up about something or you're lethargic whatever it is we normally just trudge through that like good little soldiers, right? Yeah. <laughs> but the better question would be, could I take a quick break and find a rapid recovery that would get me back into a performance zone, right? Right. And right. I like to think about like a pit stop. I love watching Formula One ever since I watched the Netflix series uh, uh, Drive to Survive. It got me interested in Formula One. And they don't just keep pushing the car when its tires are done, right? Right. They right. come in and the goal is how quickly can I restore this car to get it back out on the road as fast as possible. And I th like to think about that for ourselves, like give yourself a quick indulgent moment, but, the, right. but it needs to be actually meeting the need. So most right. of us will like get on TikTok or do something that like doesn't actually help you. It just distracts you or numbs you yep. versus in that moment, say, what do I need? Do I need to shut my eyes for 20 minutes? I'm overstimulated. I've got, I need to, you know, that, I'll do that sometimes. Like just literally shut my brain down for 20 minutes. Yeah, It's like yep. it reboots or am I stir crazy? Cause I've been at this damn computer all day. Well, go outside, go take a 20 minute walk. And you just kind of ask, what do I need right now? Yeah. And yeah. you respond and give yourself that. And often in 20 minutes, you might be back to where you need to be. Yes. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, one, like the, the kind of like little reboot, I learned how to power nap. And sometimes that can be like so powerful and I can yes. like lay down for like 15, 20 minutes and go from a state of like depletion or exhaustion or lack of focus. And then like, just sort of like 
I don't know, you like hit almost like a REM cycle and then yeah. come back out and I'm like, like, like ready to go. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. For me, I, I often won't even fall asleep, but I, I literally just laying there with no stimulation, no, nothing in my, I'm not listening to anything. I'm not looking at anything. I'm not problem solving. If I just shut it down for 20 minutes. Yeah. It, it really does feel like a, like you woke back up for the day and I'm like, dude, I was going to keep dragging for three more hours in this. State. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. Now the last few hours are really productive because I got my, my, my capacity back. Right. Yeah. All right. Hey, it's, uh, it's five minutes before you are supposed to, to have a hard cutoff. So I need to go ahead and wrap this up. I want to make the most of your time. I'm actually going to skip the lightning round questions this time because you've given us so much gold here. Uh, and I really want to make the most of your time. So, man, I, I can tell we're going to be talking for long after this podcast is over. Definitely. I'm happy to meet yeah. a new friend and a, and a, a common uh, way of thinking and approaching life. But, man, thank you for sharing your story, your wisdom, your vulnerability. I know this has been a really rich, and, and at least for me, and I assume for our audience as well, a really rich conversation. So thank you for having that with me. Thank you, Drew. It's been a it's been a pleasure, and uh, yeah, it's it's uh, I, I'm just uh, grateful for the experiences I have, and if I can inspire even one person out there, really excited, and I'm excited too to listen to other guests on your show and learn from them as well. Heck yeah! Thank you, buddy. Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results. 